this unified movement uh, is just basically what that says, to, to bring the body of Christ together throughout the city of Columbus uh, and to worship God together. And so we're going to be a part of that. Uh, Vista is actually going to be a part of that in two locations. We're partnering with some churches over in Dublin, so we're going to have a worship expression over there, and then some other city leaders here uh, at the North Central facility uh, as well. So mark your calendars. It's just a couple weeks away, three weeks away. It's going to be a fantastic time uh, of worship uh, and service and being with uh, the body uh, on that weekend. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Hey, if you're online, does this camera work today? Hey, I'm Pastor Justin. Thanks for uh, joining us if you're online this morning. So good to have you here. And it's good to be in this room to see uh, each one of you, see each other's faces and, uh, and worship together uh, in this place as well. Uh, I have been thinking over the last couple weeks about how uh, we have this whole segment of our church that uh, may never walk through the door, might not walk through the door for some time, but are watching us online and how this room is actually just a room with windows. These screens are not screens. They're not video projectors. They're just windows. Uh, and so we're excited to, uh, to be together as an entire uh, body this morning. We have uh, decided that, uh, well, a year ago, we decided that we needed to uh, ask God what he wanted uh, God, what do you want for us as a church? What do you want for us to change? What do you want for us to keep? Uh, we're just going to put everything that we do as a body on the table and see what stays uh, and what you want to change. And so uh, on September 12th, we are going to be celebrating. We're going to be celebrating the things that uh, we have understood God uh, to lead us into and the things that have stayed. And, uh, and so it's going to be a, a fantastic time of just remembering what God has done, the ways he has sustained us and provided for us. Uh, and so we want to count down to that. We want to build some energy and some momentum to that day. And so uh, this, through the summer, we are looking at the book of Romans, and we're doing it backwards to count down, even though Paul does a really good job of like expounding on the thing he just wrote about. We're going to do it backwards, just for fun. Uh, so today's uh, message is entitled 15, because that's how many weeks we have left uh, until September 12th. And so we're in Romans 15. Uh, and because we are doing it backwards and it can be a little bit, uh, we can miss a little bit of context from week to week, go ahead and read, week four, go ahead and read uh, Romans chapter 14 for next week. You can get ahead. Uh, that's where we'll be camped out um, next week. And last week, uh, Pastor Mike got us into 16, where we talked about what it means to be established by the gospel. Uh, so if you missed that, go back and, and check that one out. Also, uh, be sure you're keeping up with the ReChurch podcast, uh, because through the summer, we're digging in a little bit de uh, deeper throughout the week on, uh, on Romans and some of the things that we didn't get to cover uh, on Sunday mornings. So be checking that out. So for today, let me give you a little bit of context for the book of Romans, what's happening uh, in the city of Rome uh, when this letter that Paul writes to the churches, that's an important piece uh, of the puzzle. Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. He was somewhere else, maybe Corinth, maybe somewhere else, but he, was, uh, he had heard of 
the believers in Rome. And he knew some of them. Presumably, they had come to visit him. Uh, he had been in, you know, traveled around, and so he knew some of them already. And the, the, the church in Rome, if you will, not quite totally known how it was started, but likely there were Jews that were at Pentecost that believe in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, and then they go back. And so there's uh, all these years of uh, believers building upon their faith. There are Jewish, ethnic Jewish believers, and there are Gentile believers. And in 49 AD, the emperor, Claudius, uh, gets kind of mad. <laughs> See, Rome was a, a space of lots of different kinds of worship. You, there were lots of different gods that you could worship in Rome. And actually, it was preferred that way uh, because one of the, one of the uh, positions that you were supposed to worship was the emperor. He wanted to be thought of and worshipped as a god. And so in 49 AD, he gets mad because the Jewish and uh, believers, the Christians, who are fiercely monotheistic, aren't going to worship him. And so he kicks them out. Rome is probably about a million people strong at this point, and there are about 50 million, or 50 million, there are even more Jews. Uh, there are 50,000, which makes more sense, uh, Jews and Jewish believers, and so uh, they have to leave. He kicks them out of the city. And five years later, he dies. And so they can start to come back. But in that time, the church has not gone away. It's been led by Gentile believers. It's been led by new leaders. And so you can imagine what is happening as, as people start to come back into uh, their old spaces. But they, they find that things aren't exactly like they were before. So can we relate to this at all, right? <laughs> right? The, something happens, and then the government decides that people shouldn't gather for worship anymore. Then we go away, and some leadership changes. And we come back, and the physical space it seems familiar, but it's different, right? There are different opinions. <laughs> Anybody got a different opinion about what we're doing now? how we're doing it, about what is necessary and right and helpful. There are squabbles. Next week, we're going to get into chapter 14, like I said, and we're going to see some more specifics about what was going on in this specific context. But I think we can relate to uh, what we're going to talk about. What was going on then is going on now. And so Paul writes a lot of foundational stuff uh, so that this movement will exist, will stay firmly established in the entire city. We think about how challenging it has been just for us as a congregation, as our little part of the body. Uh, but if we extrapolate this out, we think about all of these things. How, how is the Church of Columbus, if you will, uh, to be established? We see very quickly in, uh, in chapter 16 that Paul commends a woman named Phoebe uh, to, the, to the Romans. And presumably, this, this woman uh, was obviously trusted by Paul, uh, a leader, and she would have been tasked with taking this letter back to Rome. 
And then probably going from house church to house church or from body to body in the city of Rome and reading this letter. And uh, like uh, our friend Martin Luther encouraged us last week to, to uh, memorize the entire thing, uh, it, she would have read the entire thing and maybe even explained parts of it um, to, the, to each body that she went to. And so I think for our context today, it is helpful uh, to read the entire chapter. And so our friend Phoebe, not Phoebe, uh, we call her Alicia, <laughs> uh, is going to read uh, chapter 15 for us. We who are strong ought to bear with the shortcomings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points mm -hmm. to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me this priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus, in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illicrum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey thereafter. I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. 
from Macedonia and, Ar and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and in, in that the contribution that Jerusalem may be fair, favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The Amen. God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phoebe. There's a, there's a lot in there, and we're going to get to some of it uh, today. But what we see over and over, right, is that there's this, uh, there's this unification that Paul is trying to establish uh, in the church. And so here, here's, where, here's where we land for, uh, for today. The community of faith whether then or now, the body of Christ is to be marked with an uncommon unity. An uncommon unity, something that isn't uh, found everywhere. And if you think about, as we were singing, I'm a child of God, I was thinking, oh, like not even our own like, biological families have a lot of unity sometimes, right? Don't look at anybody. <laughs> but the, the, the body of Christ is supposed to have an uncommon unity. And this is not a cheap unity. It's not a cheap unity. It's not an agree to disagree kind of unity. It's not a, uh, can't we all just get along, have a kumbaya moment, holding hands around the campfire kind of unity. What do we see in verse 5? That God would, Paul would have us have a spirit of unity. A spirit of unity, it would be, uh, that it would be pervasive through everything that we do as a body of Christ. That it, would, uh, that it would be our essence. You know, when somebody is really, really sweet, it just like seeps out of them and they can't help but be sweet. It's their essence. This is, the, the unity is to be part of our essence. In Eastern cultures, uh, harmony, specifically in the public arena, is valued as a culture above a lot of different things. And so you have companies, right, like Honda, that name their best-selling products, things like Civic and Accord. It is a... the. The spirit of unity is to be something that is culturally true about the body of Christ. But the thing is, we know it. It's hard. It's challenging to bring about that kind of thing. It's challenging to receive. And it is not common. It's not common. If any of you have ever tried to teach a child how to share anything, you know 
that this is, unity is not something that is common to us. What is common to us is pleasing ourselves. And Paul points this out right here. Selfishness is what is common to us. Looking out for ourselves only, doing the things that we like to do, is what is common. But God is calling us to an uncommon unity. And this is further pointed out in the rest of uh, verses 5 and 6, when Paul says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. Okay, here's the deal. This kind of unity is going to take supernatural power, (laughs) supernatural encouragement, supernatural endurance, nothing that requires any of those things, even if they weren't supernatural, are going to be easy. This is a gritty kind of unity, one that has to be worked at over and over. And we see that he wishes for us to have a spirit of unity so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify God. How many of you have been in the Christmas choir? How long do you practice to sing with one voice? (laughs) What kind of effort goes into that? And all the more, right, as we think about the unity of the body of Christ, keeping the unity not just in this place, but even in the, the body of Christ in our city. It's not common. But it is achievable. And it is important for us to pursue. In John 17, we see Jesus praying. And one of the, this is one of the last pieces uh, of his prayer that's recorded before he's arrested. And he's asking God uh, to grant that all who believe in him would be one, just like he and the Father are one. And we know that Jesus was pretty well connected to his Father. But we see it earlier recorded in John 14, when Jesus says, the words I say are the Father's, and he's doing his work through me. Jesus does not do anything separate from the Father. They are completely one. And this is how, uh, what Jesus wants for us as well, his body. And so unity within the body of Christ, his church, is a big deal. It's hard, but it is a big deal. But it's not the goal. And this is really important to remember. It is not the end goal. What is the end goal? Westminster Catechism, is this right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We see it right here in verses 5 and 6. So that you may glorify God. Unity is important, but the goal is glorification of God the Father. And certainly we know that glory comes in form of fame and renown uh, and attention and honor and praise. But it has uh, even more uh, depth to it than that. Let's jump back to John 17, to this prayer of Jesus. Verses 20 through 23, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. It's not just for the disciples that are here with me now. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There's something to glory here, right? What does it mean in verse 22 that Jesus has given us the same glory that God gave him? It's certainly not the same attention or honor or praise, right? How many of you have a family room with carpet in it? I do. Do you also have a couch on that carpet? It's going to work out great, this illustration. Yeah, when you put a couch on carpet and leave it there, once you, you know, sit on it, you do life on it, whatever, sit and watch Netflix, if at all you get a new couch or you move it to a different part of the room, there's a dimple. There's an impression where you go, no, that's where the couch goes. <laughs> the carpet looks really nice underneath, and there's a dimple, <laughs> right? Here's the thing. As we are in proximity to God, there's a weight to us being in his presence. There's a weight to his glory. Sometimes it manifests itself in the physical weight, but often it is an impression that is left upon us that if we were to move out of the designated space, or if, we're, uh, if we were to move throughout our, our daily life into a workspace that uh, may or may not be filled with other godly people, there's something on our lives that goes, no, they have been with God. As we spend time in the presence of the Father and worshiping Jesus and immersing ourselves in Scripture, being taught in all wisdom and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the impression, the glory of God will be on our lives because we are carriers then of his presence. And what will happen when we live in that the world will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. My son Jaden is almost five, and he has the best smile. He has these dimples when he smiles, particularly when he's being mischievous, but we'll leave that alone. <laughs> he has these dimples, and when he smiles at my wife, she will often shoot me this look like, he could ask for anything in the world right now, and I would give it to him. I cannot resist. When we walk through our daily lives with the presence of God imprinted on ourselves, the world cannot resist. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then we are caught up in the grander story of what God is doing. Because he's not just doing it right here. He's doing it for the whole world. Presumably, he's doing it for our city as well. And we can be caught up in that when we start living in the reality that we have been imprinted upon with the glory of God as carriers of his presence. And what is God doing? He's doing the same thing he's always done. 
He's just lovingly bringing people back to himself. The love and grace and justice and mercy and forgiveness of God will be on display when we live in uncommon unity that brings him glory and the world will notice. So how do we do it? <laughs> well, let's go back to Romans 15. Verse 7. This is kind of the umbrella way of how we do this. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Do you remember how Christ accepted you the first time? Maybe, uh, maybe even as we were singing this morning, maybe it wasn't the first time, but as we were singing, I am a child of God. Do you remember how you have been accepted by Christ? He did all the work so that you would be acceptable. But here's the reality. The family of God is diverse. And Paul is saying we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted each one of us. The family of God includes all types of people from every tribe and every language and every nation and every station, those born into the heritage of faith and those that are coming from a long way off. Praise God. Every gifting granted by the Holy Spirit is included. Every Myers-Briggs personality profile, every Enneagram. It's here for the sevens. All right. People willing to gather together in rooms. People that are not yet comfortable with such a thing. People that will only ever be a part of a, a body of faith online. People that are rich and people that are poor. People that are smart and not as much. But hear this. The family of God is diverse. But God and God is looking for unity, but he is not looking for homogeneity. God is looking for oneness, not sameness. And we see this over and over again. But this is important because in 1 Corinthians, this is what happens when the Spirit leads you to something during worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about different giftings. And in verse 4, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The only one who is the same is God, which means that if he wants oneness for us, there is a role that is uniquely yours to play within the body of God. Oneness, not sameness. And so, presumably, and certainly so, there are folks in the body of faith that are stronger in faith and those that are not as strong. 
And we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And so we see Paul speaking to this last group in particular. In verses 1 through 4, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings or the shortcomings, and really more accurately translated, the weaknesses of the weak. It would make sense that weak people or people that are not as strong in faith might have weaknesses. Those of us who might be stronger in faith have weaknesses. And so we are to deal with each other. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We are to, if the first thing that we are to do uh, in bringing about unity within the body is accept one another just as Christ accepted us, the second is that we are to bear with and build up for the purpose of not pleasing ourselves, for the building up of the other, for the betterment of the body at large, but to bring others along with us into this community of faith, into this unity. And what does Paul give us as our anchors for how to do this? It's great. He gives us two things, Christ and his example and Scripture. That's like the biggest Sunday school answer ever. <laughs> but this is exactly where we should anchor ourselves as we pursue unity. Under the headship of Christ, who did not even do what would have pleased him, became a servant. And the scriptures, to teach us, to encourage us, and to give us hope, We're to accept one another. We're to build with and build up and bear with one another, being anchored to Christ and his word. And thirdly, we're going to need to pray. This seems obvious, but if we are going to need supernatural power, endurance, encouragement, faith, strength to bear with each other and build each other up, we're going to be, need to be intimately connected with the source of hope and encouragement and endurance and strength. We are going to need to humbly posture ourselves under the lordship of Christ and beseech him for these things. And I imagine that when we do that, we're going to find that we need to repent. We did a, a whole series, I think it was last fall, on repentance, and it's not that bad of a thing. But we're going <laughs> to find that we need to do it. There are ways that we have sown seeds of discord instead of unity. There are, there are things that we're going to find as we're praying that God is going to illuminate in our lives that, uh, especially as we think about maybe even the broader context of the city, that we have not sympathized with our brothers and sisters, let alone empathized with them. So we are going to need to turn back to the one that can make us unified. We're going to need to repent.
and pray and stay connected to Christ and reconnect to Christ. Lastly, in order to keep the uncommon unity of the body, we are going to need to invest in the spreading of the gospel. We're going to need to get caught up in the grander story of what God is doing in the world. It's hard to have a spirit of unity if you don't know what's going on outside of yourself. And so this is essentially what Paul is doing at the end of this letter. Verses 23 through 33 what does he do? He, just, he tells the Romans of his plan. Hey, I haven't even met all of you yet. I want to come to you. you. I think you guys are doing great from what I hear. I want to come visit you. I want to be mutually encouraged by you. And then I want to go to Spain because the gospel hasn't gotten there yet. And so I'm going to visit you on the way. But first, I got to take this money because... Where I have been, the believers there have heard about how uh, the, the believers in Jerusalem are doing, and they're, they're poor, and they need provision. And so these folks over here said, hey, there's something, a way that we can provide for our brothers and sisters over here. So I'm going to take this money. i got to go to Jerusalem first. I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to head over to you guys, and then I'm going to go to, after we hang out for a little while and are mutually encouraged and refreshed, then you're going to help me get to Spain. Paul is not a shy guy, maybe ever. But he's also not shy about asking for money. And it's just a piece of getting the body of Christ caught up in the grander story of what God is doing in the world by providing for one another. And so we need to invest in many different ways in the gospel. Well, that's a bummer. Oh, there it is. Page four. Right behind page one. So uncommon unity. It's hard. It's achievable. The goal is the glorification of God. And can you imagine what would happen if we actually did it? Can you imagine what would happen if the, if the church would come together in unity? What would the result be of a unified body of Christ? Zach Neese, in his book, How to Worship a King, asks this question. And he points us to Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And, and Zach goes on to say this, First, unity would please God and it would look good to the world. They are both tired of watching us argue. Second, as the above psalms suggest, anointing would flow. When we, modern Christians, anoint people with oil, we dab. But when God does it, he dumps. Here we see oil, which represents the Spirit of God coming down on Aaron's head. Aaron was the high priest. 
Psalm 133 is a reference to Jesus as the high priest and head of the church, as we see in Ephesians 1.22 and Colossians 1.18. The anointing comes down from Jesus. It runs down over the priesthood, that's us. It flows over the entire body, the church, and pools around the feet of the priest. When we come together in unity, God is going to do something that will singe your eyebrows off. He's going to pour out such blessing, such anointing on the church that it doesn't just bless us, it blesses the land we walk on as carriers of his presence, the land we live in, the nation we call home, and the neighbors around us. And in the end result is not just power, it is life forevermore. And what does that mean? Salvation, resurrection, deathlessness? He says, I don't know, but I want to find out. Don't you want to find out? what the unity of of the body of Christ would look like. Zach doesn't pull very many punches in this book. But if I was an editor, I would change one word. I think he wimps out. (laughs) When he says, when we come together in unity. That's not what the psalm says. When we come together in unity, that is good. And often that is a first step into a greater unity that we would have in the body of Christ. Maybe it is the thing that keeps us unified. But the psalm says, when we dwell, when we live, when we stay, when we do the hard work of living together, building one another up, that is when the glory of God will be on the church and the world will believe that he is the king. This is the uncommon kind of unity that we strive for. So as we wrap up this morning, this is, this is a big weight. <laughs> it feels like a big weight to me, but it's a good one for us to strive for and for us to carry. And so if you would, uh, put out your hands like you're going to receive something because Paul gives us three blessings in this chapter. And so now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the same God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the God of peace be with you all. Jesus, we are so honored to be ones that would carry your presence into the world. And we are so sorry for when we have done it in a way that is not building up your body, that is not in step with what you want for your church. We need you, God. We realize it more today than maybe uh, we have in the past. And so, God, by your grace and mercy, 
Would you give us what we need to bring about the unity of the body of Christ in this place, in this city, in this country, in this world, so that you, God, would be glorified? We pray it in your powerful son's name. Amen. 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 Before we go out into the world, <laughs> uh, Pastor Darren wants to recognize some folks, and then Pastor Brian's going to tell you more about Go Weekend. So welcome, Pastor Darren. Yeah.